And we're back. Another edition of Stripe Show podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Welcome in and back on popular demand. Man there on the right, one of the top teachers, not just in Canada, but in the world, folks. Shaheen Nakjavani. No one says that name better than I do. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good, and I would agree with you. I honestly don't think anybody says my name better than you do. For how many times you've probably practiced it in the past? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this is not our first conversation, and um, I wanted to have you back because I know you're a busy man right now. You're working with um, all of your players, tour players. You've got guys winning on PGA Tour champions. You got guys uh, getting better across in professional golf, but also amateur golf. I see your postings, you know, on Instagram. And of course, my audience, uh, primarily in the amateur ranks, trying to get better. And uh, we're going to give you some real detail on some common things that we're seeing uh, on our lesson team, our conversations. I always enjoy because, Shaheen, I always feel like you do a great job of really articulating what it is that needs to happen, right? And communication is key. And sometimes when you can't see the student, it's hard. So you have to kind of paint the picture with the words. And you always do a really good job with that. And I want to get into a swing here that was filmed by a piece of technology that you and I have both been using. It's called Rapsodo Launch Monitor. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I've had it for two months and uh, I really like it. I think it's uh, I think it's a very good piece of technology. I think it's very functional. I think it's a lot of fun. The people that have bought it and have DM me back say, this thing is great. It's very easy to set up. And it's very accurate as well. What have you found? Uh, very much the same. I mean, uh, you know, especially for your listeners, if most of them are amateurs, I would assume um, by far one of the better options when it comes to consumer products that are out there. Obviously, people are not going to ever be willing to spend the amount that it costs for a TrackMan or obviously some of the higher end models that have more information. I don't necessarily think they need to, to be honest. It's almost an overload of information if they bought mm-hmm. them like that. Um, I think the Rapsodo is great. Uh, we were just having this conversation before. I, I think it's really good, especially at shorter distances. Um, you know, when you go to a driving range, there's yardage sticks at 50 yards, 100 yards, 150 yards, 200 yards. It's like every 50 yards, you're seeing a, um, a stick there. It's really hard to assume where the ball is actually landing. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know how important knowing your carrying distances actually are. You don't need to be perfect with them, but you should know them within a couple of yards. I think the Rapsodo is plenty accurate enough to get you within that two to three yard accuracy number uh, so that you have better information across the board. Yeah, it's funny. Like I've been just I've been hitting a lot with it um, way more than I did my track band. And I just, you know, pop it up, put my phone on there, hit a lot of wedges. And last couple of times I've played, I've, I've been like much more dialed in. I know my distances, but just like even just more precise and more confident in like how far I'm carrying a three quarter sandwich or a, a little half punch, 50 degree, you know, those kinds of things, the shots that I like to hit. And I played in Atlanta last week and I had five putts from a wedge inside seven feet, which is really like exceptional for me. Like I just was, man, I was like, I can feel like that incremental difference. The other thing that's cool with Rapsodo is you get you get the swing, and there's cool graphics with the launch monitor or with the um, the shot tracer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna put a swing up here that came across, and this first swing, um, this is a common pattern that we see: face rotating open, and then that path wanting to work a little bit across. When you see a pattern like this, Shaheen, where are you going first? 
to get this guy moving in the right direction? I mean, I think every single listener out there probably knows I'm going to say it's the club face first for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever we see club faces get really extreme in either direction, whether too open or too closed, a lot of times you'll see the golfer try to adapt and try to work the path kind of really intensely in a certain direction to get the ball started online. So when the club face gets very open, you know, swinging from the inside is no use. You're just going to hit big blocks as a right-hander to the right. It's not necessarily going to be any more accurate. So what happens a lot of times is you see these big, like over the top steepening moves, believe it or not, it's not that they're this golfer wants to be doing that. It's that they have to find a way to get that ball started online because the face is so open. It's like their method of squaring the club face up. So the only way to ever clean up the direction that the club is going, which obviously is going to be a long-term priority of theirs, uh, you have to get the club face into less open of a position. I mean, that's like pretty obvious from what you're seeing here. And that would be done what through the grip and lead hand, like um, wrist combination, you know, you're going to maybe make the grip a little stronger and then try to flex out that lead wrist a little bit more. And I always tell people like, look, and you look at the swing, he takes it back. You can see the toe rotating more up to the sky and then he gets it to the top. And you really like, if this camera was standing up taller, say waist high, like you wouldn't see much of the face at all looking back at the camera. Right. And yeah. I find myself trying to educate people between, between the grip and the wrist combination to get the face looking back at the camera. And it's like, whatever, what do you feel there when you do that? Because we got to get the face looking there first. Yeah. And uh, I would say I, I do definitely have a strategy on which element I will choose to change the club face. I, I find that the simplistic way of looking at it, obviously is just you strengthen the grip, the club face gets more closed. That's the obvious, but there's always going to be a ripple effect when you're making a swing change to all the elements around it. So if you're trying to get the club face more closed, you can strengthen the grip, but all of a sudden the wrist is likely going to be preset a little more cup. The golfer is likely going to be forced to retain a little more cupping or extension to that wrist. And that's going to cause the club to move very differently as well. Versus let's say you're trying to flatten the wrist. Well, sure. Flattening the wrist once again is going to close the club face more. But that also plays with the club alignment a lot. Like if you take a golfer and let's say they're like in line with the target at the top of the swing and the face angles open and you tell them to flex the wrist to close the face. Well, they're not just only going to close the face. They'll accomplish that objective by doing this, but they're also going to start to deviate where the club points at the top of the swing. And it's all relative there. So I find that in certain scenarios, like a golfer is already slightly laid off with the face open. If you just tell them to flex the wrist, they'll theoretically close the face but they might get the shaft into such a penalizing position that the club's still going to move poorly coming down. Probably wouldn't go the wrist angle around that situation. I'd probably strengthen the grip first as a priority so that you don't offset that club alignment too much. So I do tend to look at everything around it, not just the club face when I am trying Mm -hmm. to close it. Uh, But I mean, in this case with this player, it's so wide open. I mean, to an extreme, you almost need to influence both elements better. Right. Right. You know, it's funny too, is like, you know, that if we had a face on view of this swing, you would see a player throwing it out. He's not going to have a lot of shaft lean, um, which is the other squaring mechanism, right? We see a lot of open faces, guys come down over it and then they, you know, they have to, they have to try to let it out. Yeah. To try to square the face. You know, it's, it's funny, better players, lower handicaps. Let's say they take it back open. They have extension. They bring it down. They'll, they'll actually put the brakes on and stand on the handle. They'll, They'll stand the handle up and throw it out. And they are, usually the better player, right? When that handle goes up and they throw it out versus that player that just takes that face and just kind of wipes across it and hits that slice. So there's a lot that kind of goes into it and how the player responds, but nonetheless, you get the face more shut. 
And then that guy swings down the shot. He hits the pole and he's like, well, it felt great, but I'm pulling it now. And you're like, you know what? Go play with that for a while and figure out how not to pull it. But don't change that club face angle. <laughs> I think the the hardest golfer to change, believe it or not, like in terms of the psyche, in terms of mentally, is the golfer who's got the wide open face and hitting the ball dead straight with an early release. Because most higher handicap players define a good shot by – my ball is going somewhat to my target. It might not be an efficient ball flight. It might not be an efficient golf swing. I might've plateaued with my skill level, but I'm hitting my target, right? I'm only hitting my seven iron, 125, 130 yards, but it's going straight or at least visually to me, it's landing straight. Right. Right. Uh, You take that golfer and you get the club face more close to long-term create a better efficient movement, more distance, more compression and so on, more shuffling. But in the early stages of that change, they're not going to all of a sudden start to deliver this crazy shuffling situation. Like, you know, your DNA is your DNA. They're going to have the club face in a better spot, but they're probably still going to do some of this. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, ball flight feels like it's coming a little hotter off the club face, a little more compression, a little more juice. The ball's probably traveling 20 yards farther. But as a right-handed golfer, that ball is now going way left. So now... That golfer might think, well, am I really getting better at the game if my ball is no longer going where I'm intending? And that's why, like for me, I'm I'm super um, like I have a I'm a big advocate of having a long term conversation with a player about the process of where they're going, because if you have a player come into your lesson and you're like, hey, your club face is open. That's why you're not hitting it far. Let's close it. And that's all you tell them. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy or girl sees that ball go way left. The first thing they're doing is going back to their old grip to get that ball going straight again when they're on the golf course yeah, or their old club face position. Yep. So you have to break it down for them in layman's terms, like from A to Z. Hey, this is going to be the process. This is going to be the result probably in the short term for that first week or two. Probably not going to be very accurate with that ball flight. Understand that the matchups are just such that's creating that right now. Once we create a better environment, club faces in a better position, all that. Now, all of a sudden, we can actually change the way you're delivering the club to the ball. We'll get that ball fly straight again. But there's always that short term period where that doesn't happen. And I think that's where the psyche needs to be the strongest, because that's when the golfers are likely to kind of revert back. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will, too. Listen to this great Offer DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1. And if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions in baseball, hockey, golf, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TRAVIS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TRAVIS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. 
wager paid out inside credits restrictions apply see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana 1-800-9 with it well i think that's where you do a great job too with you're you're prepping them for that you're like hey here's probably what you're gonna see yeah and then just here's kind of where we're going as we navigate through that next step but we've got to get you to that step in order to develop the pattern so you can develop more skill, right? Because the reality is, is the reason that you're here is because you've kind of plateaued, right? With skill based off of that pattern. So we have to change that pattern to, um, I always say, uh, change the probability of impact. So then you can develop more skill, hit more shots, more distance, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. We could, we go on for a long time, but um, yeah, that conversation is important. That's kind of the coaching aspect. You got to get good info information. You got to put it in the right order, but then I think you got to like prep them for here's probably what's going to happen, <laughs> you know, foreshadowing ahead with the ball flight is as yeah. important as anything else you're going to do in a lesson. Yeah. Um, let's talk about controlling the distance because this player, as we just saw face open comes over it, you know, when you start losing shaft lane like that, which a lot of people do, um, you know, getting people another degree or two degrees of forward shaft lane is absolute cash, right. For most amateurs, because now they've de-lofted the face and they're like, damn, this is cool. I've never had the divot kind of out in front. Um, so we're talking about controlling distances with wedges. Yeah. Where I always kind of go here and, and with Rapsodo, you can get that, you can get the launch angle and how it's coming out. And that consistent launch angle, of course, is so important as you're working with your better players, because if I'm coming in and I'm throwing it and I throw it and I add three, four degrees of loft one time, and then only one degree loft the next time, and then seven degrees the next time, you know, this variance of this pattern, I mean, you know, the distance between one degree and seven degrees is huge in how far that ball is going to to fly, right? And particularly with the wedge. So when I watch good wedge players, that launch angle is consistent. And I always think Shaheen, when I'm out there and I'm watching, they, that, that trajectory is down, you know, like it's coming out kind of flat and controlled lower, maybe slightly draw bias for a lot of them with these controlled wedges. What are, what are some things that you're doing there to kind of get that launch angle dialed in and control that 90, 110, 130 type shot? Well, I think as a starting point, the reason why you typically see more draw bias is the ball position is so far back on a wedge relative to, let's say, a driver. Um, your attack angle naturally gets steeper, and that's going to push the path more from the inside. So, I mean, like I, what I always try to tell, especially better players, it is really hard to fade a wedge. Yeah. And you got to get so steep on the ball to fade that wedge and so outside it that it's just really hard to control. And that's usually going to create a negative effect into the rest of your game that you're better off playing a relatively straight ball to a slight draw pattern with, with a wedge, just for that reason. Um, you know, they the first thing I like to do with good players is get them to understand what do you define as a good shot with a wedge? You know, most people hit their wedges way too high as evidence from that player. We just saw obviously with that club face being wide open. Um, there is no way that player is probably launching his wedge very low. Right. I mean, I'm right. a bit against it. Right. Um, so getting them into some ideal co- uh, situations, like we see commonalities with really good players. A lot of times they're launching their wedges somewhere in that 27, 28 degree range. 
which is, you wouldn't expect with a club that has so much loft, but that's definitely the case with better players. You usually see a dynamic loft somewhere in like the 40 to 42 degree range. Obviously, that varies depending on the club you're using. But as a rule of thumb, that's usually a good ballpark to be in. Um, so just trying to get players to hit that window usually is going to be really important because if you start to launch it way too high, it's not just about the fact that you're adding a lot of loft, you're increasing your spin rate very likely with that too. Mm -hmm. Too much spin with a wedge is a nightmare situation. You're spinning that thing over 10, 11, 12,000. I mean, it's going to be impossible to control when it lands on the green. Your predictability goes out the window, right? And predictability is super important when you're trying to be accurate with a wedge in your hand. So first of all, like to bring this back to the Rapsodo, I think one of the biggest benefits of the Rapsodo is not necessarily hitting a driver. I mean, hitting your driver, you're just trying to hit it as far as possible. So yeah, having that distance is great, but it's just an extra little piece of advice when it comes to the wedges. Like, like I said, at the beginning, you, most golf courses you go to have such few yardage sticks that knowing that you're carrying a wedge 60 yards, even if it's plus or minus one or two yards of some inaccuracies with every launch monitor, Knowing that you're getting it within that window is so important. I think it really helps you. So dialing in your distances to me with a launch monitor is super important and getting it out of that specific trajectory so that you can spin that wedge somewhere in that 9,000 range, 10,000 maximum usually is very, very good for high level players. Yeah. And the question that I get a lot in using it is um, how accurate is it, right? Because it's 500 bucks versus a track man that's 28,000. Yeah. And we know TrackMan is great. Like it's a, it's a great tool. It's 28,000 bucks. So, so, <laughs> right. for the, you know, for you and I like, okay, yeah, there's, there's probably some value in that, right. With what we like to do and train people. And there's a lot of features there, but I mean, to the consumer, it's like, I'm not going to spend 28,000, you know? So it's <laughs> like, what's a more functional way to do this. And, but yet maintain that accuracy. And I think Rapsol has done a good job. It's 500 bucks. In fact, use Stripe show in the promo code and you get a discount off of that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so it's, uh, I think the one to 2% is what they use. 2% on a hundred yards is two yards, you, you know, 2% on 200 yards. I mean, you do the math, like it's, it's right there. I mean, it's, it's in the ball game and I've tested it and I think it's, um, and I think it's very accurate. Like any piece of technology, you get a little, you know, you get some weird readings once in a while and the way the ball comes off. And like, that's just, you know, you get that with everything, but I think the accuracy is really good. And I, I, like I said, I've had a lot of people um, comment on that, comment on that, but just also just how easy and how much fun it is to sit there and hit shots and see how far you're hitting it versus maybe when you miss hit it and what the variance of that would be. Now I want to go to the second video. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to put the second video up there. This is a little different pattern. This is a guy that, uh, a little better club face, right? A little better, a little different club face angle, but a swing shape that um, we would see a lot as well. I think his club face, honestly, probably got stronger over time to offset the forearm rotation he does in the takeaway. You know, you can obviously see that he has a ton of forearm roll early on, mm -hmm. right? And that gets the club obviously very, very flat going back. Theoretically speaking, if everything remains constant in the golf swing and you're creating a lot of form rotation, you're not just going to see the shaft get very flat. You're going to see that face angle get wide open. So what happens a lot of times with players is if they're so concerned with the takeaway, and I mean, there's so much information on the internet of, hey, try to fix your club face in the takeaway. If all they're looking at is their club face, they might just start to strengthen their grip more and more to get the club face stronger to offset what the forearm rotation is actually doing without really correcting the problem, which is the forearm rotation at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. The stronger grip would almost be a band-aid to that. You can see a lot of that in this player's swing. 
He gets to the top, obviously very flat, very laid off. Um, I mean, we know what happens from there. I've spoken about it a bunch. You create so much forearm rotation one way in the backswing. A lot of times you max out that range of motion. You're not going to magically retain that coming down. A lot of times to relieve that pressure, you're going to see a rebound, a reflect the other direction. So that's kind of what happens with this player. They get so laid off at the top, so flat with the club. Forearms then rotate the other way, and there's a big well, I wouldn't say a huge steepening move, but there certainly is enough of one to create problems uh, for this specific player. So the club comes down a little more vertical than he would like to see it. And um, obviously that creates problems to the club path. It creates problems to his ball flight. And, you know, the ripple effect is there. So of the two, yeah, who would be the higher caliber ball striker? I would probably say the second guy. Just for yeah, sure. So you, yeah, just because the club face is so much cleaner, right? Um so much cleaner and even though he has that like forearm yeah. movement that i'm not a great fan of it's not like his club is nearly as vertical coming down as that first player so i would imagine this player's path is much closer to zero than the first guy um even if it's offline i would yeah. imagine because of that strong club face he's probably hitting it a lot farther as well just right that. right and would you say with this pattern so as you got in there and you started decreasing that form rotation got in the shaft to whoops you got in the shaft to stack up a little bit more right yeah to get it just a little bit more vertical would you go more vertical first and then kind of man, like kind of see the net effect to the face and the ball flight before you would maybe, okay, we're going to, we're going to fix maybe the grip too. And the shaft, you would kind of leave the, the face alone and just get the shaft more vertical. So then it can shallow and just kind of see how the face responds to that. Yeah. I have a rule when I'm making swing changes similar to a player like this, everybody is going to adapt to a swing change very differently. Yeah. At the end of the day, especially as players get better, they get more and more manipulated by what they feel. And that's going to affect how they move the club. You know, a really good player might have the arms super upright. You try to get them deeper, but if they feel stuck, they're going to do something crazy in transition to get rid of that stuck feeling. It might actually create a negative effect to them. So because players are uh, manipulated by what they're feeling so often, I would first have to change, obviously, the structure of how the club moves in the backswing. I mean, that's a clear huge problem that yeah. creates a domino effect but i wouldn't change anything beyond that in the early stages because i would need to reassess how they're adapting to that swing change some people might organically move the club a lot better coming down because the forearms now have space to work better and shallow the club and all these things some players might just be up there and then just come down way steeper from that position yeah. i mean we've, i've seen both situations happen you can't guarantee one or the other right what you can guarantee is that the club's going to be in a better spot the structure of the backswing will be better you'll have a much better situation going on that will allow you to then shallow the club, but I'm not going to guarantee that person's going to do it right away. I mean, yeah. it, it totally depends on how they move. So what I say is like, don't change things in addition to that for preventative reasons. First, see how they react to that reassess and then go forward from there. And it's okay if they, there's going to be a little pain involved in that maybe during the hour or two in the lesson. Sometimes, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the thing. Like just, I look at my teaching over the last, 21 years. I don't teach as much as I used to now, but um, I would say in the early stages, I probably would have tried to control every little step of that. I would have went in there and tried to put, put preventative layers in there and, you know, and like almost overcoach it early, you know? And, but now I find, and I've been this way for a while now, it's like, okay, we're going to go down this path we need to fix this. And here's what I know is going to happen, but I want to see how it goes from there. I want to, I want to let it evolve from there. And then we'll decide if we need to do something else. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I've been in the last, 
you know, in through the maturation of teaching as you get into trial and effect. And, and sometimes like, and they, they get it up there better. And then they start and they like, they miss hit it. Cause it's a new spot. And it's like, that's all right. We'll just keep working at you showing the progress and it could be 30 minutes of pain, but eventually you kind of just work them through it. But I think that I, I really do think that's the right way to go rather than o- over coaching it up front, because now you got a lot of things going on, you know, in the player's mind. And they're like, okay, I gotta do this. I gotta, I gotta do this. And, and the reality is, is like, all we got to change right now is the pitch of the shaft. That's it. You know, and the pitch of the shaft, like then from there, okay, let me take it from there and I'll give you that second element if needed, if needed, because it might just, it might just do it. Right. And then you look like a genius um, at that point. Cause you change one thing and the other happened, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes like, sometimes you get them up there, the pitch of the shaft's good. And then they bring it down and then the handle runs away from them and they hit on the hosel and they're like, Oh my God, what? You know, like just those things pop up and then you just start taking those things away based off of what you know is the most important thing, which is the pitch of that shaft, right? Going back. Yeah, and I think that that conversation is almost uh, something that I, I talk a lot with players of, which is like the difference between skill and technique. You know, you can get a player to move the club a lot better. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be very comfortable finding their way back to the ball. It requires right. skill to get back to the ball. Even if the swing is mechanically looking better and f- moving better, there's a lot of discomfort there. There's a lot of uncertainty from them there. There's no awareness into what they're doing anymore. Um, that a lot of times they struggle to find the sweet spot. I mean, that happens in my lessons all the time. And then over the course of the hour, as that progresses, they get better and better with it. And then yeah. hopefully towards the end of the session, they start to feel comfortable enough to trust the process of it. So let's go, let's transition to the driver now. Cause a lot of people want to hit the driver, um, with the Rapsodo too. And you talked about the wedge ball back, they trap it all those things are leading into the path working more. Right. So it's like, just feel like you're hitting a little trap draw, right. And that lower trajectory. And I think that's just phenomenal advice for most people. And, and when you teach people that shot, it's like, that's just, it's money, you know, like it, not only does their approach wedge get better, but it's just like the net effect for most through the bag. It's like, it's huge. And then you go to the driver and the driver's a little harder to draw, right? Because now it's like, they're hitting up on it the ball position is way forward, which I find a lot of people gravitate up to it. And now they're up kind of a, you know, set up. open. Yeah. So kind of talk about the driver now and just what you see at address. And let's say the player still wants to draw it with the driver and some of the, you know, the, the hurdles they have to kind of, or not hurdles, but just some of the things they have to understand because that attack angle now is moving more up. Well, I think it's very common, especially with better players, that as you work up through the bag, the path gets less and less from the inside just because of that. Tack angle gets shallower, ball position moves. Mm-hmm. It's harder to draw a driver. Uh, first thing I would tell a really good player is why do you want to draw a driver? I, I almost need to have that information beforehand because trying to force a player to draw a driver uh, can lead to some bad things if they're hitting it good, but it's not necessarily a draw. You know, like you're creating mm-hmm. too much of an extreme there. Uh, I would keep it very simple. You know, if you want to draw the driver and let's say like the path is not right enough for you to be able to do that, try to manipulate certain little simple details like your setup position. Try to offset kind of what you mentioned. What do you like to see in the setup? Well, I would offset the ball position by maybe closing the alignment a little bit more, you know, getting that left shoulder a little more forward in their alignment, forward meaning like more in front of them getting the hip a little more in front of them, bumping the hip a little bit forward as well so that they have some side bend, which would help them with that as well. Creating a little bit more of a closed foot stance, dropping that back foot a little more back, 
try to find different ways in your setup position without manipulating the golf swing so differently to gradually shift the path more to the right. Now, the one thing that people have to really be careful with when it comes to driver more than anything, and this is probably why I'm not a huge advocate of hitting draws with driver. I'm okay with it. If a player comes to me and they're drawing the driver and they're hitting it well, like, I mean, your hands are clean. You don't have to do anything about it. But if a player really wants to hit a draw, you have to be careful because the more you're hitting up on it, that low point is shifting, right? It's moving more back in the stance as you're trying to hit more and more up on the ball. Now you take the path and you're shifting it even further right while trying to hit up on it. That swing direction is going to get so far right. It gets really hard to control the strike on the face. I would say that's the number one thing I see with players who draw their drivers is they really struggle to find the sweet spot doing that because the swing direction is gets so excessive. So I would prefer the swing direction, get a little closer to zero. Um, you know, I find that gets a lot easier to control. And naturally, when that happens, if you're going to hit up on your driver, your path is going to be a little bit more left, which tends to, for a right-handed golfer, obviously. So it tends to become more fade biased. So I don't like to force the player yeah. to hit draws with driver. Uh, if they want to do it, that's totally fine. But I would have a good, I would share some good dialogue with them back and forth about that whole process and some of the dangers involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. And moving the needle that way, right? You're, I can hear the caution there of getting too much, right? Like then, cause then you start getting into the, the speeth and Rory paths, you know, like you're backing up paths to the right and it's, yeah. it starts roaming around in the face and like, you can't play professional golf doing that. But, you know, to the average player who has never drawn the ball in their life, right? Like that little exaggeration of what you're talking about there. And, and they oftentimes they'll look at me and say, man, I feel like I'm aiming 20 yards to the right. And then I take a picture and I show them like you're dead square. Like, you know, yeah, but they feel that way because they're so used to being the other way. And then they hit it and it's like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I could see how that ball maybe wanted to draw. So like it's knowing your person, right? Like, and how much can you really move? Yeah, of course. That way. There's tons of subjectivity in what you're going to tell the yeah. player to get them to hit a draw. I mean, at the end of the day, like those simple setup cues are going to influence the path more from the inside for everyone. But you might have a player who has a terrible technique and some really obvious, easy things of getting the hips a little more open in the backswing, working the arms a little bit more behind them. That might get them drawing the ball right off the bat. And you don't have to do anything else beyond that. I mean, it totally depends on the player's pattern, but there are some simple setup cues, especially with a better player without altering their DNA too much that can get them to do that much easier. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate. Within 2% of a $20,000 unit, the Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback data and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable, Cases about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo mobile launch monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com. R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com. Rapsodo.com. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, it uh a little just that little peeler slightly left to right power fade is um when I know I'm hitting it my best, you know, like that's just kind of goes out and just dies. Right. And then with the wedges, it, I, I feel like it's the other way, you know, on, on both ends of those extremes, like that would oh, be, I'll, I'll tell you what, like using myself as an example, I would like to consider myself a very, very good wedge and short iron player 
and I draw them for the most part. Mm -hmm. And as the clubs get longer in the bag, my ball flight tends to straighten out. But when I get to the driver, I have a herniated disc and a torn ACL. I can't nearly turn as well as I used to anymore. So a lot of times I catch myself side bending too much and I get stuck and I'm hitting draws with them, but I'm not an accurate driver of the ball at all. And for the same reasons that I always like to warn people, I get stuck in that pattern. So if you try to manufacture the draw too much, you might do it in a very poor way mechanically just to see the ball curve in a draw bias kind of fashion. And that not, might not necessarily make you a better driver of the ball. At the end of the day, when you're making a swing change with the player, are you going to be more accurate? If you're not going to be more accurate hitting a draw off the tee, then don't do it. And like, yeah. I'm an example of that. I'm a yeah. I'm great inside 150. I'm awful off the tee, proportionally speaking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Here's a final question here. We came in here. What are um, one or two training drills or devices someone can train with to get, quote, on plane, right? I mean, just think good swing shape. Uh, any, any tools that you use that are uh, alignment sticks? Yeah, so I'll tell you what. I think the only product I probably use in every single lesson Wow. My, maybe a handful is an alignment stick. The alignment stick. I agree. Like the alignment stick, I'll use the impact bag, you know, a little bit if I'm trying to, you know, get people to come down and feel something different at the bottom and then, and then through the strike, let's finish up with just like a little impact training, right. And technology that are not technology, but terms that I find myself using that people then you could see really, start gravitating to and understanding better and things start to make more sense. One of them is the concept. I think intuitively, like most people understand that they have to be, they're hitting a full shot, six iron. Like they have to, like the head's got to be a little bit behind the ball. Like I think most understand, like I've got to get, I have to be somewhat behind it. I can't be out ahead of it. Right. I've got to be behind it. Um, and, and the little side bend to the right, you know, and how much of that we know can vary depending yeah. upon the player and what you're trying to do through the strike. You know, most tour players are trying to feel less side bend to the right. You know, they're trying to turn left and they've got so many things prepared that they can do that. Right. And their skill would suggest that you see the caddy standing there just above and they're trying to swing under it and those kinds of things. But for a lot of people like that's, they don't have the luxury of doing that. In fact, if they start swinging left, it would be problematic detrimental detrimental and they and so i so i we have these conversations right because they see that and then so that's like number one okay where maybe is kind of the exit idea the other is the idea of when they turn through is like how the spine has to take on some extension you know i think spine extension is a term that when i tell that to people both in the backswing and then through to post impact is like oh wow like that that really makes a huge difference, right? In the way that I kind of lengthened the swing out going back. And then the way I kind of kept my orientation through the impact zone, I didn't stay down per se and like launch out in front of it. So those are two for me that I see. Is there, is there things that come on for like the light comes on through the impact discussion when you're talking with amateurs? Well, I think that um, a lot of times for amateurs, the problem happens way earlier. I mean, I, I would argue I have way more discussions about, I mean, I definitely tell them what's happening at the bottom, but I tell them that in order for this to change, I mean, the elements behind it have to be better in many cases. And that doesn't necessarily always imply like shallowing the club. Sometimes they're stuck too underneath the plane. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, 
there are certain situations where like a player is hitting such a shallow, has such a shallow exaggerated swing that they're bottoming out behind the ball, clearly an impact issue. Right. But then when you look at them, it's like, yeah, well maybe you're stuck a little under the plane because of how the body's moving, but the body can only help you so much. It can't create miracles for you at a certain point. You know, there are issues are going to be somewhere else. You got to change them. So we might change something else. So I find that in like a large majority of cases, the pivot, the way the body's moving to get the club back to the ball is one of the last things, not always, but often one of the later things I talk about because there are problems that happen so much prior to that that it's going to make it impossible to do. Now, when it comes to players, I mean, I definitely see a lot of patterns with players. Obviously, the better players, like you said, have a lot of side bend. They usually have a lot of lateral shift. They probably don't rotate as well. Um, and a lot of them are trying to improve that. And when it comes to the better player, uh, the worst player, you see a lot of the opposite. You see a lot of upper body dominant transitions. You see a lot of times the pelvis doesn't get nearly far forward enough. And it's almost like they're spinning out like a top on top of their back foot. And it causes their path to get very like outside in very over the top. Um, and in some situations you might actually have to change the way the body's moving. So I do have discussions with players about what happens at the bottom often, but I would say that in many of those cases, the root cause, if you want to use that term, it happens a lot before what's happening at the bottom of the swing. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings is, well, the only thing that matters, Travis, is at impact, right? There's a lot of different swings out there on tour, like, these, you know, these tweets and comments that you hear, like, you know, like, hey, I'm, gosh, you know, I've never thought about that before, right? You know, yeah, of course, there's a lot of different swings. And if you get in that impact zone, if you get into that impact position, you know, just like Sergio Garcia, knock yourself out, right? Knock yourself out. But the reality is, is that the majority don't get in anywhere near that impact position and can't figure out and will never figure out how to get into that impact position based upon the things that are happening in their swing well before that impact position that you just defined. So I tell people, look, the backswing folks matters for amateur golfers for most. It has value taking the time to structure that a little bit, give yourself some good stuff happening. And then, all right, then some stuff on the way down. Yeah. Off we go. Now be an athlete, go get it, you know, and, and, and most do, they, they start to go get it. The shaft starts to lean forward. They start, okay, now I rotate and then you can, you can get in there and help them with all those things. But you know, it's just, it drives me nuts when I'm being lectured, like, the only thing that matters, Travis, is impact. I got it. Like, I totally understand that. And if that's the only, and if we could all get in that impact position with all this other stuff going on, knock yourself out. Like, go do it. <laughs> you know? But you don't know how to do it. That's the deal. Yeah, you just can't get there. I mean, right, you just can't there's, a, there's, a, there's another one that I just talk a lot, which is like, all you need to see is the ball flight. Hell no. No shot. I mean, the amount of different ways I can create that same ball flight, how am I supposed to know where the actual problem is just by seeing the ball flight? Mm-hmm. I can see pulls where the golfer's just coming down way steep. I can see pulls because the golfer's face is wide open and they're really releasing it. Yeah. I can see pulls because the club face is actually just too closed. I don't know which way to go with that golfer if I don't see what's happening before that. Right. Yeah. Well, we could, yeah. Don't get me started on that that deal. Like that. <laughs> we could talk about all those cliche phrases for hours. <laughs> yeah. I have to I have to put the phone down often, you know, when those things start, start, are fired. You know, I just had one come across the other day there. He's like, you know, I was thinking, um, you basically don't like Raymond Floyd's backswing. He's a hall of famer. You know that I'm like, Hey, if you want to suck the club head inside behind your hands early like that, 
you, you know, and then up and like, not do it, like go for it. If that, if that's the pattern you want to teach, then, then go do it. Right. I mean, that's, but I, 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 if I taught that pattern and there's other pat, like, I'm not sure I would still be in business. I have an answer to those people. I say for every one Raymond Floyd that does that, there's about a hundred thousand people who do that and stink at golf. So <laughs> yeah. are, yeah, you, Raymond Floyd's are you a job security? Yeah, are you one in a one hundred thousand situation? Because if you're not, that ain't gonna stay in your golf swing. Yeah, right. Uh, hey, finish up here with, um, you know, the rap soda is great, but also Skillis. I know you use that app. Um, I use the app. It's, um, you know, we have our training programs out there, but online lessons have taken off. You you do more online lessons than probably anybody in the world. They're coming at you from every angle and people are sending you video from this face on view, this down the line view. They're telling you, look, here's my ball flight, my tendencies, here's where I want to go. So you kind of get as much information as you can, but then you get in there and you start, okay, here's, you know, you give them the analysis and then you give them the game plan. And I get the question a lot, are online lessons really productive? Does it work? And your answer is what? Of course. I, I think that, um, I mean, put it this way, if they weren't productive at some point in time, the feedback would have been so negative that they would have died out. Right. They would have stopped. Nothing can continue to be successful over an extended period of time. If it wasn't a good product, you can release a product on the market in any industry and there might be hype with it at the beginning, but if that product doesn't sustain the hype at a certain point, it stops working and it yeah. stops selling. Online lessons are still selling five, 10 years down the road from when they started, right? Like I started five years ago. Mm -hmm. They're still going very strong. Obviously, the proof is in the pudding, not only in what we show with our students winning events. I mean, like half the guys I work with on tours are exclusively online through COVID and they're winning tournaments. Yep. You tell me if it's working or not, right? Like, right. Yeah. And, and if the if it wasn't productive enough for people at a certain point, it would have stopped being an option. That's my honest truth. You know, it's amazing. I, I get it every day, you know, just a note here, DM, hey, I went from a 12 handicap to a six. I, you know, I went from this to that. I, it's, and I've never met the person in my life, never met him in my life, you know, other than there's this video drawn, you know, here's what I, okay, this, this, you know, like, and, and you start doing multiple lessons over a course of time. And of course, usually they're following you on Instagram and they kind of have a sense of how you teach and your, your lexicon and your tone. Like, so there's a, you know, they, they kind of warm up to it, but the terminology becomes like, that's the language. Like they get the language, they get the, the, um, the game plan and the drills and like, it's, it, it works, man. I'm telling you, and it's, it's going to continue to grow. And I but you know, I'm, I know it works. I'm just saying that as, cause I know of a lot of the audience that are considering, well, gosh, maybe I should send these guys a video. You should, you, you know, if you want to get better, you've got to get good information, but you got to start putting things in the right order. You got to have context. Like you've got to start moving in the right order to, 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 you know, to enhance the probability of impact. So you can start developing more skill and you don't have to be standing right in front of myself or Shaheen to do that. So Skillis is a great app. I mean, it really is. And um, I'm, I'm fired up for not only the online lessons, but the training programs, you know, which are a little different, you know, kind of laid out in order. So you're kind of giving them context to maybe self-discover within based upon our years of experience on those subject matters. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think those are the way of the future too, because people can consume those that, you know, Hey, 
there's an intimidation of sending Shaheen and Travis video. There's, um, there's a monetary value of spend that people are comfortable with. Some it's, Hey, I'm going to come see in person. Some it's, I'm going to do it online. And some is like, Hey, I want to buy this $20 training program and I'll just kind of consume it on my own time. And that's okay too, because I think in all those cases, you can get better. You can enjoy the game more and you can play the game more. And that's kind of ultimately what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, um, one of the benefits of these programs or even just online lessons in general is you get rid of those like first T jitters of seeing a coach for the first time, you know, yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. How often do you have a person come to you and like they're hitting the ball really poorly and it might actually be kind of something that they don't typically do or it's worse than they usually do. And they're like, sorry, I'm just a little nervous of taking a lesson. I mean, I get that all the time. Yeah. You know, when you're sending a video back, Hey dude, you're practicing on your own time. Like you can go out there, you can hit great shots. You can hit bad shots. There's no one there. Um, you know, to look at you or to make you feel uncomfortable or nervous because they have an eye over your shoulder when you're hitting shots. Yep. Those are, those are good points. I love it. Yeah. Skill. It's a great app. Rapsoda is a great launch monitor. Um, go check them out. Rapsoda.com use promo code stripe show and you get $75 off. And then of course, go to the skills app, download it, find a coach. You'll see Shaheen on there. You'll see myself on there. Take an online lesson. All you gotta do is capture a few videos face on target, upload them, give us some thoughts. Let us break it down. We'll put it in the right order. Off you go. That's how you, uh, you start developing skill. Um, Shaheen, you're the best man. Check him out on Instagram. It's S H K E E N golf on Instagram. Of course, I'm at Travis Fulton golf. We'll do it again, man. It's 45 minutes. I know you got to get out there in the lesson T, but we'll, uh, we'll get you on again soon. All right, dude, go enjoy that Florida heat. Yeah, yeah, it's Florida heat and raining, but I'm out of here, folks. I'm heading to Idaho this weekend. You'll see me from there with trees and a lake in the backdrop next week. Vacation Travis coming up on Instagram. There you go. See you. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show.